This is Looking Forward, conversations about the future of work, brought to you by Herman Miller. Hello and welcome to Looking Forward. I'm your host, Ryan Anderson, and today we're talking with Steve Todd, AVP and Head of Global Workplace at NASDAQ, as well as founder of a peer-to-peer network called Open Sourced Workplace. Our conversation focuses on the relationship between the people who design and manage office spaces and the people they serve. Steve transitioned into this role after an accomplished career in finance, and since then, he's pioneered new ways of understanding employee needs and creating a very participative approach to workplace design. With offices increasingly becoming on-demand assets, I think you'll find inspiration in how Steve and his team view the users of these spaces as their customers and are seeking to understand and address their needs in new ways. Enjoy this chat with Steve Todd. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us on Looking Forward. Thank you, Ryan. It's uh, it's great to be here. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, spend time with you. So thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Uh, so Steve Todd, uh, Global Head of Workplace at NASDAQ. Um, I'm responsible for all leasing, uh, workplace uh, philosophies, uh, design, really understanding what the business does, what the business does at each location, and then bringing that into our portfolio through a leasing and a, and a basically a design and strategy concept. So basically, our real estate portfolio is aligned to the business needs. That's really what my my role is. It, it's it's a fun role. It's a great team. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been in this role I think for seven years now stretching, stretching for a while, and we have a, a great team. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Well, one of the things I love about your story is that you didn't you didn't start out apparently growing up saying, I want to get into workplace and real estate. Not that anybody necessarily does, but tell us a little bit about how you came into this role. It's, a funny, it's funny whenever you say that. I actually don't know too many people who actually started out with the objective of working in workplace, but actually once people get in, they fall in love with it, right? And I'll sort of, sort of come to that is to sort of explain how I fell in love with workplace. But yeah, no, my background's finance. I did an accountancy and finance degree. Um, I spent... 11 years at the Associated Press working on all functions within finance. I moved to NASDAQ in 2011 to be a business unit CFO, where again, it's all a finance, uh, a finance role. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The main element and one of my functions within that was to support the real estate team. So in essence, I was looking at all the real estate leases. I run all the financials, putting together the business cases and support models that basically allow us to make a decision whether or not to move forward um, with a, a specific strategy. Um, and I, I, I loved that. And I really wanted to get more and more involved in that. And I gradually moved over into an operational role within the organization and ultimately in the real estate department, negotiating leases. And that role's kind of expanded. Um, in 2016, I, I headed up a workplace strategy group uh, where we really dug into what does the workplace need to be for NASDAQ? What does that look like? What makes NASDAQ employees productive? And how do we create that environment that enables everyone to be productive. We all know, you know, we have 60 locations around the world, multiple different types of roles, um, cultures, personalities. So how do you create that productive environment over and over again that is unique for the individual location? And I fell in love with WordPress. I loved it. And it's the element of helping people. It's the element of being able to be of service to individuals to help them to be better 
and do their best. That's the bit that I think whenever most people get into workplace, they fall in love with it. It's being of service to other people. And that's that's what I love about it. That is super cool. I'm curious when you were still in that finance role, starting to help real estate, any surprises in terms of how much the organization or any organization actually invests in real estate? It's staggering. It's staggering. You know, I think most organizing, I mean, real estate is their most likely the second largest expense after compensation for most organizations. But that's whenever you look at that, that's on an annual basis. But actually, if you take the aggregate of what major leases are, leases can be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years long. So actually, you could be investing in a property that actually is the the uh, the commitment from the organization is way more than the commitment for the actual employees that work there. So whenever you start seeing these numbers and then you aggregate that up across the organization for all their portfolio, the numbers are staggering. Um, uh, whenever you start looking at that, but yeah, I was I was surprised. I was surprised. Well, and it's so cool that your kind of entree into this was being able to figure out how to make workplace more effective. I'm just curious through a finance lens, um, how is real estate or office design typically measured? Like what what constitutes an effective office strategy? Yeah, and I guess it, you know, sort of before I answer that, I guess the the way that sort of my mind works coming from a finance background, you get taught ratios you get caught you taught that bottom right hand number right what is the you know roi on absolutely every investment and every decision you make so then you take that and then you have a look at your workplace then how do you take that mindset and look at your workplace how is the organization getting an roi in the real estate investment the design but also the people who are working there how are they evaluating and putting a value on what that workplace looks like. And so, I mean, I come at it from a very pragmatic and data perspective. So what is that? And it's really hard to, to quantify. It's really hard to get the data to measure those things. And traditionally, what we have tried to do is survey our employees. You know, most people know what makes them productive. If you ask them and you have the ability to get that response, you actually build up a picture relatively quickly on what actually makes people productive. And when I talk about things that make people productive, I'm thinking about the attributes of an office. So be it, you know, the temperature, the color of the walls, the furniture, all those elements, right? What what is it about those things that make you productive and how are employees measuring those or seeing those and putting a value on those and how does it help them perform their job better? You know, you walk into most offices and every person's desk setup is exactly the same. Why is it? Because that's the pro forma with the way we would have traditionally built office space. But are we saying that a person who sits and does transactional, you know, accounting, needs the same type of environment as a software coder or, or someone who's doing, doing, doing code? Probably not. That's not to say it doesn't work. That's not to say that it isn't productive, but is it the most productive way for those folks to work? And I think as we shift through the lens of what's happened over the last couple of years, um, you know, that shifts again from that type of environment. But sort of going back to there, so what we did was we measured, okay, what are employees telling us are, are, are making them productive? We distilled it into 11 productivity factors. And then what we have been doing every year thereafter is surveying our employees and asking, how are we measuring up against these key productivity factors? 
And if you have a look and you align them to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they flow through those hierarchy of needs, right? You have to look after the very basic fundamentals. So what is the is it clean water, access to clean air, cleanliness of the office, those real basic security needs that people have. And then you get to the 11th where it really is all about that self-actualization of actually collaboration and innovation. But you can't get to that unless you've addressed all the, the former uh, elements of, of Maslow's hierarchy needs. So it's fascinating whenever you do that. What we have done then is we've taken that and we take the survey results and then we're able to present that as part of our business cases for any work we want to do in a specific office when we go to executive leadership. So we're able to say, well, here's what employees have told us makes them productive. Here's how we're scoring. Here's how now we want to invest our capital to address those concerns. And then we're able to go back the following year and demonstrate and illustrate, actually, here's the score before, here's our investment, and here's the increase in the employee's uh, response to that investment. And it, it's worked very well. Is it an exact science of measuring productivity? Absolutely not. But from a, an employee perspective, I mean, we all know a happy employee is a much more productive employee. And if the employee feels heard, and sees a response, sees engagement, then that can only help the organization. Yeah, I think you've created a bridge that very few organizations maybe have. In fact, I'm falling into some traditional maybe stereotyping, but we know that a majority of corporate real estate leaders have reported to the CFO in the past, and it's been very kind of spreadsheet driven. A lot of people in the world of commercial interior design speak in design language, and there's always been this kind of Gulf. That's always a bit of a bit of a risk in terms of are the design speakers and the business speakers understanding each other. But it sounds like through uh, identifying these eleven attributes or factors, you've bridged the world of the actual design of the space with something that could be measured to attempt to get to an ROI. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And uh, it's it, it's fascinating when you start looking and you, you get your results, and then you want to test the theory of the hypothesis of the results to really understand, is that really the case? And we then start looking at the responses that we've got, because we're able to break this down by each location, by genre, you know, by uh, uh, through all the diverse groups, right, within the organization, age, um, uh, all, all those various aspects. Looking at specific locations, knowing what that real estate is, we're able to see that a location that has low access to light, that actually scores really low. And therefore, whenever we come to reevaluate what do we need to do for that office, if we want to relocate, all of a sudden that becomes one of the key indicators for our search criteria. And that helps us drive that forward. And again, it then also helps the narrative when we go back to employees. You've told us that this is a big concern and this impacts your productivity, here's how we're addressing that. And you're bringing employees along in the journey with you. And again, it all comes back to going on a journey together, employees feeling they've been heard and a response been given to them. You know, um, and, and it's it's fascinating when you start to hear and you start to see these things. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but we then, whenever we start then designing a workplace, how do then do we collect that data? How do then do we engage further? 
with our employees to sort of enable us to optimize those results. Well, I definitely want to get into that how in a minute, because I think in this new world of work, organizations are going to be seeking a lot more from their workplaces and we'll probably need to go on a journey similar to what you've already done. But I still want to um, focus a little bit on the what. And I know you mentioned 11. I'm not going to put you on the spot and have you try to remember all 11, or maybe you do. But if you were to just try to share, what are some of the things you know that a workplace has to get right? What comes to mind? Focus on the basics. The number one, it's no surprise to anybody, is tea and coffee. Number one, <laughs> it really is really simple. Um, and so it's tea and coffee. It is cleanliness. It's it's access to light. It's access to clean water. If I didn't say that again before. Um, and then we go through the various attributes of furniture, collaboration zones, um, breakout spaces, um, connection. So connection to those people who you need to interact and work with on a daily basis. Um, again, yeah, I wish I had it in front of me unless I could, I could actually uh, just recite them all to you and perhaps uh, I should have, but, uh, but yeah. Well, no, it sounds like there's some really fundamental things here in terms of the indoor environment, um, the environmental factors, and then some of those specific design attributes in terms of how the space is laid out come next. Uh, but that doesn't totally surprise me. And I wouldn't be shocked if um, as you went down the path, different groups might respond differently to say this layout or that, but clean water, clean air, coffee, tea. Yeah. Who's going to object to those things, right? It's always the basics, man. And it's like, you know, whenever you look at this stuff and then we ask ourselves the same question, we have to, and you think about your own home, right? Those are the things you look after first. Right, you look after. Okay, I have clean water. I have a, a heated environment. It can be cold in the summer months. I'm comfortable here. I have places to sit. Right, I have place to go and have uh, where I go to eat, where I go to bed, where I go to relax. Right, you think about those elements, or even better still, and it's the best analogy I can ever have. I love talking about this, which is a kindergarten. Right, you look at a kindergarten where the teachers have to do so much with kids through the course of the day, and actually they perfect, perfect how to lay out space, a square box, and it, so many different things they can do in that environment. So how do they do it? It's understanding who's going to be there. It's understanding what their needs are and the tools that's going to need. But then also, okay, how are they going to relax? How are they going to recover? How are they going to eat? How are they going to drink? How are they going to do all those elements? And there's so many things that we can learn from understanding how kindergartens operate and um, when it comes to the actual workplace environment as well. I love it. So if we get a little bit more into the interior design of a space at NASDAQ, I, I know a lot of your people are very advanced users of technology. I mean, you're a very technology-driven company. But what comes to mind as far as how you would describe the interiors? How do you plan your spaces? What are they like? Um, do they differ from what you might find in a typical office space? So we've been on a journey um, in evolving our design concept um and it, we've been on that journey probably since 2015 and it's it's what we call uh continuous improvement so in other words every project we do it should be taking our workplace design up another another level another notch because you you accumulate knowledge the team accumulates knowledge we become better at understanding employees what employees needs and wants are we're better at communicating design concepts to our architects who could help us design that um, premise as well. We're also more informed when we talk with the local leadership team on what we hear and actually how then that can go back and the reasons why we, we may select a certain um, look and feel. 
um, to an office. But in essence, what we do is when we actually do this, we, we, we actually ask employees. We actually invite, so we did our New York headquarters. We opened it earlier um, this year. I'm getting a lot mixed up in my years. Earlier this year, man, <laughs> my goodness. Um, but before we did that, we invited every NASDAQ New York employee to attend a focus session where they could come in and spend time with the real estate team. It was all optional. They didn't have to. But the intent of that was really to dig in and do a workshop where, okay, so what is what do you need from the workplace for you to be, again, productive? What is the look and feel you want your experience to be? What is the color? What is the textures? What do you want a signed desk? Don't you want a signed desk? How do you want to come into the office? What are the attributes and what are the things that you need in that office? And, you know, what's kind of funny, given the whole environment that we've gone through, 85% of NASDAQ employees wanted a signed seat when we did this same in London. That's what they wanted. And the organization, that was the culture. Obviously, things will change. We don't know how that will change over time. But in essence, that's where that's where we were. So we go, we go and we ask and we distill this information. And then we provide a readout that we then give to our architects. We give to leadership team and whoever is the steering committee um, of that um, uh, project so that we can communicate. These are the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Here is the design that we're following. And, you know, is, as, as right, my boss always says, it's not we're going to have 500 people choosing carpet. It's not that it's not about that. There are skill sets within the team who know how to put these things together, the design, the architect, they know how to put color and things together. But it's how do you get a look and feel that the organization or employees want? So, again, day one, when they walk into the office, they can go, oh, I remember telling them we wanted something like that. And they buy into it. Right. And it's the knowing that they've been on that journey. We did the same thing in London. We did the same thing in Toronto. We're doing the same thing in Sydney right now. And it's just the process that we go through. It is time consuming, but the things you learn, the things you see and the response you get from employees, it's, it's, um, it's so good. It's so good. But that's how you that's how you're able to develop. But actually, the, the one thing that we always want to do is what is it about that office that you want to feel different to anywhere else? Right. What is that local culture that we can bring to the office? Philadelphia, which is where we had the um, Philadelphia Stock Exchange. The Stock Exchange was actually created in the Merchants Coffee House. So within that office, we actually have a merchant's coffee house. So we have brought the history into the office. Um, in an office we had in Calgary, it was the locals wanted everything, one wall of everything that was Calgary, images that they selected. We basically built this um, Calgary um, wall that basically allowed them to sort of buy in and see that every single day. So we bring the local culture in with that NASDAQ theme and that NASDAQ fiber that runs through. Um, so whenever you walk from one office to another, you can see the continuation and themes, but it's very much focused on the local culture. Yeah, this is a very participatory user-centered approach to workplace design. And I, I can imagine that many of our listeners may have already concluded moving forward, we should do a better job of getting employee input, of making sure that employees' needs are understood and heard. But I'm guessing there's more than a few that are wondering, my goodness, what do you do with all that feedback? You've described surveying everyone initially in 2016 and doing it repeatedly after that. You've described focus groups where almost anyone or anyone who's working in this space could come participate. And you mentioned that you work with a variety of collaborators, but help us to understand when you get all that information, what do you do with it? And how do you begin to 
organize around tracking this over time? So we've actually built a scorecard um, that basically takes all that information we collect and then allows us to bring that in and present that to the executive team. And we present that to the executive team and the business heads for one, for their business, but then also for the location as a whole. And it's once you build it, um, it actually becomes not straightforward, but then you know what that recipe is, right? The, the most wonderful thing about when you do this is it allows your team to one, listen to uh, a focus session. It allows them then to build a confidence to feel that they can participate and then eventually lead. And then whenever you're leading something and you've got to be in control of something, then your understanding of what you're asking and what you're trying to get out of it actually goes that much deeper. So the actual learnings that the team have had as we've gone through this journey, the learnings and the speed with which we can then interpret the information that we're hearing. And then also, because it's the same team who are doing this over and over and over again, we actually are then able to ask better questions during these focus sessions when we hear things. That's the most rewarding element from a team perspective. And then from the employee perspective, we're able to deliver a better product. Well, I know you've seen it too, but I've been inundated for the last year and a half with all sorts of speculative articles on the death of the office, which I've always thought was um, hyperbole. If anything, it feels like a much more user-centered, a, a much more fresh perspective on what the office could be, could actually be perhaps a rebirth uh, of a new era of office. But given all that you've done, I have the sense that you probably know more about what makes an effective space or what sort of space people want to come into than most. Um, as you think about future of the office, whether it's for NASDAQ or more broadly, what things beyond those factors, but what kind of things give you hope for uh, a new and improved uh, future for the office? So if we were to go and do, this is my belief, this is my belief, I don't know, it's my hypothesis. If we were to go and redo all those sessions today with the change in perspective, we would get different results. So if we go back to, we ask employees, do you want an assigned desk? 85% of employees in New York and London want an assigned desk. Today, that wouldn't be the case. When we were evaluating leases going forward, would we have committed to the same amount of real estate? I don't know, right? We don't know because we don't know what the future has or what the future is. New York's different because New York's our headquarters. It's what we're always going to be. We're always going to be growing in New York. But other locations, would it have changed our strategy? And, and those are the things that while we understand, I do believe it would have shifted and the purpose of the office may have changed to something different. We did sessions um, on the future of the office and the future of work. What is the purpose of the office with our employees? We looked at 19 locations. Again, we ran these focus sessions where we invited people to come in and we ran through this workshop through Zoom where we asked people, what is the future of this? Why do you want to go back to the office? What do you miss about the office? Um, and we got all these learnings. And then we went on to then ask, well, are you more productive at home? Or where are you more productive? Okay, so if you're more productive at home, which most people said they were, why are you more productive at home? Because as a, an owner of the workplace, I want to understand why you feel you're more productive at home because I want to replicate that for you to come into the office because 
yes, you're more productive for that percentage of time when you're doing your focus work. But whenever you need to interact with other people, are we able to build on that? Are we able to, you know, create those synergies where you have that getaway space, focus space, but then you can come back into the um, the actual social environment to actually accelerate whatever it is you were doing and actually we all come up with a much, much better place. So we go through a lot of those sessions um, and it, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes. I don't have a, a crystal ball, as you know. Um, I, I'm fascinated to see where it goes. I, I love the psychology of watching. I love the psychology of observing um, and just seeing where things really go. Um, if you're asking me my hypothesis, I think the workplace of the future will be a social environment. Um, I think offices will be geared towards those that live closer to them. I think big city may may struggle to attract employees back. And I think the hub and spoke and third places, third spaces, co-working, whatever that is, I think are going to become more and more important as we go forward. And one of the, some of the things that we've witnessed, it's, it's kind of fascinating as we have rolled out or provided opportunities for employees to work from these third places, um, been able to see what employees book, where they book, um, why they're booking, and the reasons they're choosing what they're choosing for what they're doing there. It's fascinating because depending on what they're doing, they choose different places. So if it's an individual focus place where they know they just want to go and work, they will choose something that's very close in a closed office and they will go to there. If they're meeting with colleagues, it will be around um, a common transport hub where it'll be very close to that, where the actual group getting together will be there um, for them to come together. If they're meeting with clients, it'll be more of a high-end, chic look in place so that they feel that they know they have confidence that the, a, a, a client coming in f- doesn't feel like a co-working. But they feel like an upscale place, and it's there catered to specific needs. Now, whenever we think about this from a workplace, I then take that away and I go, okay, so how is that going to impact the workplace that we have to deliver because we need to learn this, right? We need to know, okay, why is an employee selecting this type of environment to host a client and can we provide that within our actual workplace to enable that so they feel that they don't have to go there? Again, it's not trying to replace, but how do we better understand the needs of employees? And it's getting access to data, getting access to these insights, absorbing them, playing back. So whenever I get a, every time someone books a space, I get an email alerting me someone's booked a space. I ping them and go, let me know how it went. And why did you choose this place? I want to understand the psychology of what it is they're doing, why they're doing it and why they're selected it. Cause only then do you really fully absorb the reasons behind. I feel like I should pause and just highlight several of the things you just mentioned, because your mentality, I think, represents a significant shift that a lot of organizations are going to go through. I'm hearing you describe workplace as a continuum. You mentioned home. You mentioned flexible workspace or co-working as well as the office. And you're using data to help understand demand patterns so that the office can be complementary rather than straight up in competition with those other spaces, which I think is exactly where this needs to go. Um, You know, the federal government just signed a contract with several co-working space providers, which I think got a lot of us really interested in the idea that federal government employees in the U.S. um, can go work from a co-working space, which for me really changes it. 
we know as an example from the data from our work from home tool that not everybody can have a distraction-free environment at home, but your analogy of, are they more likely to go 10 minutes away to a co-working space if they can find focus there than they would be to commute to a city is the perfect kind of analogy of, we need to understand what each point on that continuum might look like and how they can all work together. Because I don't personally subscribe to the idea that all of these spaces are completely separate and they totally support separate things. When you go into the office, you need to be able to socialize. You need to be able to focus. It needs to cover off on a variety of bases, but there's no doubt that it can be fine tuned with the knowledge that people can be working elsewhere. So I, I'm, I'm smiling because I think that what you're saying reflects where a lot of organizations will need to get. I am curious when it comes to the design of your specific spaces, you've mentioned ownership, you know, desk ownership, uh, other, other trends, whether it's activity-based working, neighborhood-based designs or anything else that just gets you really interested in things that you might like to try as you continue to prototype new approaches with new projects? I'm fascinated to see um, who returns to the office, how people return to the office, how frequently they come in. Um, and then also, what is the impact that to the company's bottom line? We have to connect one with the other because the ultimate reason for all that activity, the investment in human resources, the technology that we, you know, we give to employees, the software, the, the technology, and the real estate, which is just a, a, almost like a platform, right? We have to look at it for another weapon that they have to do what it is they need to do. How does that impact the bottom line? Does that help? Does that take away? Um, many organizations have seen great growth through the last 18 months. Some are hurting. Some some need to be in the office. Some functions, they just need to be there, right? And we, we appreciate that. So, But how do you move forward with unintended consequences? How do you move forward and actually take people to a situation where everyone can perform at their optimal best? There are many instances where, you know, um, we get up early in the morning and we start working. But if we had a long commute, we wouldn't have started working. And therefore, how would that impact the rest of the day? And I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just the nature of that's how things work. Um, and we have to find what is that right thing. So what I'm really curious to see is who goes back, how often they go back, um, and then what is the impact of that on the actual organization as a whole. Um, and, and I'm fascinated to see what that looks like across different geographies, large cities, suburban office environments, um, what is the frequency of those going into the office compared to the distance they have to travel, right? So that basically employees then have a, an idea, if I make a decision, then this may mean I don't go to the office, but what does that mean for me long-term? How do we you know, share that information? How do we learn from that information from both sides to allow people to make more informed decisions? Business leaders, you know, if, you're, if, you're gonna, if, if a business wants to recruit somebody, then we have data that shows, okay, this person, if they live X far away, will likely come into the office X amount of times over a period of time. Does that change uh, a hiring decision? I don't know, but it's how do we provide leaders with information that allows them to make more informed decisions? It, that, that's, our, that's our responsibility, right, to provide information to executive leadership because they can make the informed decisions, and that's, that's our purpose. Well, and I think this is a, a long-term thing. I know a lot of people, because the exit from the office happened pretty much in a day here in the U.S., <laughs> or certainly over the course of a week or two, are waiting for 
that day or that week when everybody comes back. The reality is these patterns will evolve over months and years. And I think we'll have a much clearer sense of who values what from the office a year or two from now, which may not be the most satisfying answer to everybody, but you've got the tools in place to look at this longitudinally. For somebody who's just starting out, maybe they've measured um, the effectiveness of their real estate portfolio primarily in terms of occupancy costs, but want to begin thinking about looking at the human side of it. Are there tools, tips uh, you might su- uh, suggest or try? Um, how, do you, how do you go about starting something like this? The first time I met Phil Kirshner, he, I, I was heading down this occupancy um, analytics and trying to understand utilization and trying to get my hands on as much data as I could. And he asked me a very simple question. If you got the answers to all the questions that you're trying to get, what would you do with the information? Or what would your leadership team do with the information you get? And I'd start there because what questions are you trying to answer? When I started asking myself with every data point I wanted to collect, and I started asking myself that question, well, it allowed me to tier what was important, what isn't important. So really understand what actually is important, not just to you, because as real estate people, we want as much information as possible so we can provide the best environment for employees. But actually what's gonna change executive leadership, what's gonna change um, team leaders' decisions um, around how people are working. I'd start with that really simple question. What am I going to do with the information I have? And, and then just go from there. And, and don't be, be bold about, you know, um, trying to pursue some of the, the you know, th- there's much smarter ways of doing the things that we've done, right? There are much smarter ways to do it. But in essence, again, we, we, we looked at this as a, a learning experience for the organization, for the team. Yeah. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. So it's <laughs> worth it for the team. It's worth it for the team. You know what I mean? It, it really it really is. Um, it's painful. Um, it's a lot of work. But the rewards just outweighs yeah, it. Now, what you're, what you're saying makes sense. Don't start along this journey just in the sense of collecting metrics. Have the decisions in mind. And a shout out to our mutual friend, Phil Kirshner, who's a great workplace thinker now at McKinsey. I just traded notes on LinkedIn with him this morning, as a matter of fact. Well, um, we're getting close on time, but I, I, would be, uh, I, would, I would miss a big opportunity if I didn't ask you about open source workplace. Tell me uh, or tell our listeners what that is, why you started it, and where they can get more information. No, thank you. And I appreciate you, uh, you asking, and you, and you always do. So thank you. Um, so I got into real estate and workplace in 2015 and I was eager to learn and I find it really hard to find information for really simple questions. What is this? How do I do this? When do I do this? Right. You fill in the blanks all around everything about workplace in 2015, 2016, as I was trying to research and sort of build up my knowledge, um, Every time I did that, I had to sign up for a white paper. I had to give my email address to somebody, and, and I was on some mailing list. And that was that was it. That was how marketing worked back then. Today, it's very different because a lot of people they know content brings um, brings people into their website, into their ecosystem, whatever that is. But I wanted to create something, so that's what I created. Open Source WordPress. It is a site where basically we create content that allows people to answer those types of questions. We wanted to be a resource uh, for people to use. And uh, yeah, so it, it's been something that was created in 2018, 2019, and it just continues to evolve, to grow. Um, and yeah, yeah, we publish content uh, most most days. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 really good. And, and there's going to be uh, 
big changes coming up in the next year, um, which I'm really excited about. And uh, as we get closer to that, I'll be able to share more and more about that. Yep. It's a great place for the, that peer-to-peer networking and it's opensourcedworkplace.com, right? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend, for sharing your perspectives, your insight and your wisdom. I think um, this is all leading towards a workplace in the future that is much more tuned to the needs and wants of employees. And the more that uh, corporate real estate leaders can better understand their people and what makes an effective space for their people, the better. I agree. I agree. And and it's also, I think as well, it's it's corporate real estate leaders, but it's also, I think, on employees to share. It, it really is a two-way street because what you can't get one without the other, right? And therefore, you have to build that relationship. You have to build that mutual respect within the organization that so when employees do talk to you and, and they do then see the fruits of that conversation, they do see the payback and you're able to demonstrate, illustrate and point to it, it really helps all that buy-in. So, so yeah, so look, I thank you for the opportunity. It's uh, it's, it's always great chatting with you, Ryan. Thanks, Steve. Have a great one. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.